right, so today we're going to be participating or celebrating the Lord's Supper, communion. And there are a lot of different backgrounds represented here at Capital City Church, which I personally love. Uh, anytime you get a group of people together in the same place, living in community like we do, if everybody starts looking the same, acting the same, dressing the same, thinking the same, voting the same, I mean, all of a sudden it gets really freaky. And I think in the worst possible way, I love the fact that we have different backgrounds, people coming from different points of view, raised in different ways. And we unite at the level ground at the foot of the cross. There are certain things that we agree about or on, certain doctrines, certain teachings that are important, irreducible. But then there are many things that people just have a different understanding or perspective on just because of the way you're raised. That was illustrated last week in our first impressions class. We have a class, or actually it's just a lunch where I get to talk to you for 45 minutes after I've talked to you for 35 minutes on Sunday morning. So that sounds terrible the way I just explained it. Uh, but we have a group of folks who, you know, come. Many of you were there last week after church. If you would like to be involved in a first impressions class, there'll be another one coming up right after Christmas, uh, where we talk about things that are really important to the church, important to our faith, kind of how we tick and operate. And last week, um, as I do every class, I just ask people, you know, how were you raised? What was your faith tradition? Now, some people weren't raised in church or with a faith tradition. That's perfectly fine. Um, I am thrilled you're here. If you don't have a background and this is new for you and appreciate the opportunity to, to share with you some of the things that I think are so important but last week, we had such diversity in the room full of people. We had several Catholics. We had several, uh, we had two from a Jehovah's Witness background. We had a Dutch Reformed, a new friend that grew up Dutch Reformed. I think they didn't even speak English in those worship services until she was a little girl. And I think that um, we had several Methodists and Lutheran, a couple of Episcopals, some Baptists. I mean, we were all over the map. And, and I love it absolutely love it. To me, it's invigorating. And I realize that it's challenging. And the reason that it's challenging is clarity. Because when we come in a room to a room like this, to open up God's word, which I believe is timeless, I believe it's 100% true. I believe that it's the sole authority for what we believe and how we live. When we open it up and begin to talk about things, well, clarity is really important. And for me to explain to you why it is that we do what we do here at Capital City Church. Now, I believe the way we practice our faith is the correct way to practice our faith. Now, I'm not trying to be exclusive or disrespectful to anybody's tradition or any other churches, but I'm telling you the reason that, that we do what we do is because I and many others believe that it's biblical which is, is what we try to fashion what we do, everything we do around. But there's a lot of confusion sometimes. There are two things that the Bible teaches us that we practice, that we do. They're called, um, well, baptism is one of them, and um, communion is another. Ordinances, they're, they're words that we use that sometimes they don't communicate real well, but Jesus told us to do them. They both kind of relate back as pictures to salvation. We're taught to do them and taught to do them often, but many people misunderstand these two things, baptism and, and communion or the Lord's Supper. And a lot of it has to do with the way that you were taught growing up or the church or faith tradition you come from or have participated in recently. And so I wanna to talk to you this morning about some of the differences that you may have experienced, um, maybe even uh, coming into this room today. Maybe you're hearing something for the first time, the way that, that, that I believe the Bible teaches that we approach these two things. But I wanna ask for your attention 
and um, your focus for a few minutes. Because for some, it'll sound repetitive. For some, it'll probably sound a little too informative. And you're like, ah, it's too much information. I'm not that interested. But I promise you, for many of us in here, as in the service earlier, um, clarity uh, was really helpful. And I think that, um, you know, not only does it help us when we participate in the Lord's Supper, uh, but I believe it helps us when we try to follow Jesus with our lives. So baptism is something. We're doing a baptism, having a baptism service again next week. We have six or seven adults and some kids who are on our list of people who've expressed interest to be baptized. Schedules don't always work out. Baptism's in both services, early and late service next week. Uh, but baptism is something that's one of the things we're commanded by Jesus to practice and practice often. But you may have grown up in a tradition that baptizes or teaches baptism differently than we do. Now, some people teach that infants can or should be baptized. Now, we don't believe that. Now, it doesn't mean that if you were baptized as an infant that you're bad or that you're sinful or that, you know, you need to recant something. I mean, that's not at all what I'm talking about. It's just super simple. Baptism is an outward sign, a public sign of an inward commitment and you have to be able to make an inward commitment before you can actually make a public demonstration. Does that make sense? A little baby, as cute as they are, they have no ability to choose for themselves. The parent chooses, which is beautiful. We do a baby dedication um, ceremony once or twice a year where we bring parents and babies up to the stage and pray for the parents and for the babies and the parents dedicate them. But it has no significance to the baby beyond just well, prayer of dedication. But for some, faith traditions teach that there's some saving sort of tradition passed from, you know, the parents or the church to the kids and that they're born in some traditions into a covenant family. And, and I believe that none of that is biblical. I believe that a person has to choose to become a believer in Jesus Christ after they've reached an age where they understand right and wrong, where they understand sin and consequence, some call it the age of accountability. Some just, you know, call it the age of growing up to the point where they know the difference, right? Whatever it is, kids can certainly be believers once they reach that age where they understand the difference between right and wrong and sin and salvation and hell and, and heaven. And after a child becomes a believer, they certainly can be baptized. But for me, baptism is something that um, I remember in my growing up years as kind of that it was just a public way for me to say, this is the decision that I've made, this is who I am. And even though I was baptized as a kid, it's still something at 51 years old that's important to me and that I remember. Some people have been baptized in a way that's a little different than we believe the Bible teaches baptism. For example, some people have been sprinkled even as adults or as kids after they've understood salvation and made a decision to, to follow Christ. I don't believe that that expression is invalid. I don't believe that expression is sinful or that you're wrong if you did it. I just believe that the Bible teaches that the best example of believer's baptism is following along in the likeness of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I believe that immersion is what the Bible teaches when the Bible teaches baptism, which means that you take somebody and you put them all the way under the water. Jesus was totally dead. A person is totally submerged or immersed. You come back up out of the water because Jesus rose again, totally alive, and we live in a newness of life. So it's the best picture. I believe there's more 
to just a picture. I believe the Bible backs it up with very specific language, and that's the reason that we practice baptism the way that we do. Different than some of your traditions, but something that's important to understand that I believe it's biblical. We're not trying to be exclusive or proud or arrogant or judgmental. I'm just trying to be clear. Now, baptism is one of the two things that sometimes people get a little bit confused about. The second is the Lord's Supper or communion. Maybe you grew up, maybe you still to this day call it the Eucharist. I want to talk to you. I want to do something I've never done. I've been serving churches since 1989 and I've uh, been a pastor for, I don't know, 20-something years, and I don't think I've ever done this, which means it's a terrible idea or that it's about time, one of the two. But I just was really impressed with the fact that there's so much diversity that I think I need to help bring a little clarity to and around the idea of the Lord's Supper or communion or the Eucharist, if that's the way that you uh, have called it, uh, what you've called it in the past. And so I'm gonna talk to you about four different views. Now, anytime you label somebody, you ignore somebody. Anytime you throw things into a category, there's always exceptions to the category. Anytime I do something like this, there's always gonna be somebody who says, well, that's not quite the way I understand it. I'm telling you that these are the four ways that are the most common in the way that people teach these things to people who do what I do and also people who teach these things to folks who are interested in learning. They're simply categories, there's exceptions to every rule, and your notes have detailed explanations about each of these things. I've never actually gone through these categories and I've never really boiled it down like this on Sunday morning, so I'm going to try to do it and then we are going to shift gears and we're going to talk about preparing our hearts and celebrating the Lord's Supper together. So, the app has a section called notes. You press that button and it'll take you to my notes, which have a lot more information than you're going to see or hear today. But we observe the Lord's Supper to commemorate or remember a past event. I just wanted it to sound cool, so commemorate. It's a little more wordy or, or, or wooden than it needs to be. To anticipate a future event and to participate in the celebration of life between the two. Now, there are four different views. You may have been raised or maybe even have practiced up until recently, perhaps even last week, one of these views. The first is the Roman Catholic view. The Roman Catholic view of the Eucharist or of communion, the Lord's Supper, whatever you call it, it's called transubstantiation. And what this means is that, that Catholic priests and Catholic doctrine, they believe that when you take the Lord's Supper, that the bread and the wine literally become the body and the blood of Jesus. When the priest prays a prayer of consecration, that the two elements are transformed into the literal body and the literal blood of Jesus, which is the reason that they're so careful with the elements, the reason that they're so careful with what's left over. They believe that if you don't do it once a year, that your salvation could be in jeopardy or at least your right standing with God. And again, as I say these things, there's exceptions to every rule, different priests apply things in different ways, but in general, that's the Catholic belief. And um, we as a church, I don't believe that the Bible teaches that. And I'm not the only one. There was a guy named Martin Luther who was a Catholic priest way back in the day, I think he was ordained in the early 1500s, or uh, he decided that he needed to practice his faith in a different way. And people argued these things just like our government argues politics. 
I mean, this was supposed to be Christianity and church. And I mean, they would scream at each other and yell at each other, in some cases, kill each other. And, you know, they'd take things outside and people wouldn't come back in. I mean, they, they, this was a big, big time, serious deal. Martin Luther had decided, you know, I've had enough of some of the, the um, well, there were some abuses that were going on, just like any religion, just like any church. Sometimes people abuse things, do things wrong, corrupt things. I'm not making a value judgment about every person or every tradition, but there were indulgences that were being sold in the Catholic Church way back in the day, which means that you could pay in advance for sins that you did. And Martin Luther said, no, we're going to do things a different way. So he came up with a different view that was called consubstantiation. Now, many Episcopals and many Lutherans, not every, but many, practice communion and believe this. They believe that in consubstantiation, that the physical presence of Jesus, the literal presence of Jesus, comes down and unites with the bread and the juice. The bread and the juice don't transform into Jesus' body and blood, but they unite with it, and they're above it, within it, below it, and Jesus is united with it. So it's extremely important, these two things, the bread and the juice. Now, that's not our position. I don't believe that the Bible teaches that position, but it's a common position that maybe you grew up in or around. The third is practiced by many Presbyterians and many Reformed congregations, and that's called spiritual presence. And in spiritual presence, what they believe is that Jesus literally comes and is present here with us as we take communion and some actually believe that our spirits or souls are sort of united with him in heaven and that there's something transcendental that happens, something spiritual, something concrete, but yet abstract at the same time. And I don't believe that the Bible teaches that. But many congregations practice the Lord's Supper and they believe that. There's a fourth view. And this view is practiced by many Baptists, many non-denominationals, many other congregations that have chosen to adopt this view, and it's called the memorial view. I grew up in a church that had a table at the front of the church down here, and it said, in remembrance of me. The memorial view is a view that believes that the cracker and that the juice are just simply symbols that when Jesus, and we'll talk about this in a minute, explained to his disciples right before his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion and resurrection, that they were going to take the bread and drink the juice. He said, do this in remembrance of me, that it was simply a word picture, an analogy, a comparison. And it takes us in our minds back to an event. Sort of like me wearing a wedding ring reminds me of an event that happened 31 years ago. Or that celebrating an anniversary reminds me of. Or a birthday. There are reasons we believe this. One of the reasons is the Apostle Paul taught us in 1 Corinthians. Five times he says that we do it in remembrance of Jesus. Jesus says in his gospels to his disciples that when we take the Lord's Supper, we do it in remembrance of him. Now, my purpose in going through these four things isn't to be judgmental or to alienate. It's simply to be clear 
I want you to understand this is what we do and this is why we do it. The Lord's Supper has nothing to do with your salvation as far as giving you salvation or allowing you to keep your salvation. It's simply a celebration of our salvation, an anticipation of the time when we're gonna be with Jesus and a way for us to practice our faith in the meantime and to celebrate the fact that Jesus saved us by his grace and our faith and our faith alone. Now, some churches and denominations practice what's called a closed communion. That is practiced by some Baptist congregations. Well, there are a lot of congregations that practice that. But closed communion would be only people who are members of this local church, members in good standing of this particular or a particular local church, would be welcome to take communion. But anyone who's a member of a different church or perhaps not a member of a church, Christian or not, wouldn't be welcome to take communion. Now, there's really not much biblical basis for this. It's more a practical sort of an application. We don't believe in this at all. In fact, I have a good friend who grew up in a church where the congregation would line the aisles, as you will do in a minute, to receive communion. And they would have deacons who were looking at the people who were lined up in the aisles. And they would go and point people out and say, I know your life's not right. You need to get out of line. You can't take communion. Now, that to me is a gross abuse of what Scripture teaches. And I can't imagine being the person who would be so presumptive as to stand there and judge you and tell you to get out of line. But it happens. Some churches practice what's called close communion. I told you this was going to be a little information heavy, right? We're almost done with it. Close communion means anybody within a certain denomination can practice communion as long as you're in good standing and if they checked on you, they could call your pastor and they'd say, yeah, you know, they're all right. But it's still denominationally based, still exclusive. It's still, well, it keeps other people from participating in what's called open communion, which is what I believe the Bible teaches and what we practice at Capital City Church. Open communion is communion for anybody who's a believer in Jesus Christ, who has confessed sin, who's believed who Jesus is, and Jesus is our Savior, he's Lord, who's chosen to follow Jesus and follow Jesus alone, a person who's become a believer, who's a member of the body of Christ. So whatever congregation you happen to be part of or, or visiting or attending, whatever corner of the world, if they're an evangelical, Bible-teaching, Christ-preaching congregation, then you certainly should and, and would be able to participate in the Lord's Supper in what some would call an open communion. Now, that being said, communion is only for people who have made a decision to follow Jesus. Why? Because it's a remembrance and celebration of an event that happened, the crucifixion, but also my personal interaction with Jesus as I became a believer. So a person who hasn't made the decision to follow Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior certainly can't recreate something any more than you could celebrate your anniversary if you've never been married. You're celebrating something that didn't happen. Now, 
If that hasn't happened for you, my prayer is that today would be the day you decide to become a believer, to follow Jesus, to become a follower of Jesus Christ and celebrate communion for the first time. But it's for a person who has done that to come back and remember. Now, can a child take communion? Sure, as long as they're old enough to have made the decision to follow Jesus themselves. They've reached that age where they understand and they can certainly celebrate the Lord's Supper. Do you have to be baptized before you take communion? No, although most of the time that's the way it works out because baptism should follow along in somewhat close proximity to salvation. But those two aren't related. And that's how I believe the Bible handles and teaches these two important things. Let me move to the practical very quickly. I've never done that before. I've never talked about these four things, and these are the things that we usually talk about in membership classes, and we talk about in Q&As and things. But I think it's important because I want us all to be on the same page. We observe the Lord's Supper to commemorate. To commemorate the bread and the cup remind us of the one-time sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and we participate to remember what he did for us. So there's two things. One, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He took on the sins of the world. My sin, your sin, all of our sin. I believe he died for the sins of the entire world. I believe the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover all of our sins and that he died with the intention that all of us give ourselves to him. Unfortunately, some people choose not to make that decision. For those who have decided to make that decision, when we commemorate, we're looking back and being thankful for two things. One, the fact that Jesus died and rose again. Two, the fact that I became a believer by making that personal, by deciding to follow him. Make sense? Not just an ascent, a mental ascent saying, yes, this event happened, but yes, this event happened and changed my life because I became a follower of Christ. Now, number two, we celebrate the Lord's Supper to anticipate I like this. I like the, what this communicates because anticipate to me is, um, well, obviously there's a sense of expectation. Well, what are we expecting? Jesus says in Matthew 26, I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it with you new in my father's kingdom. We observe the Lord's Supper in anticipation of Jesus' return and the time when we will experience the reality of heaven. Are you looking forward to Jesus coming again? I've thought about this a lot lately, and I don't know why, but I have. And I think the older I get, the more I'm ready for Jesus to come again. I remember as a young man, I had things I wanted to do. And I'm like, yeah, Jesus, I certainly want you to come again, but I want you to wait till after I get married. I want you to wait till after I have kids. I want you to wait till, I mean, I had things I wanted to do. Now, I'm ready for Jesus to come again. Now, there's still things I'm looking forward to. But I anticipate a little more the more I understand. I've thought a lot about life after death and how much do I really believe that the reality of heaven is going to be better than the best things here. I anticipate. I anticipate leaving this world behind. All of its sin, its sadness, its suffering, its disappointment. Leaving it behind. I anticipate the day when I'll be with Jesus, be home. When I open my eyes to that reality and hear him say, well done, you were good and you were faithful. 
I anticipate seeing my grandma, my grandpa, all those who I've known who've gone before in Christ, those who have died believers, that I'll be able to see them and be with them in heaven. I anticipate that day. And when I celebrate Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, historical fact and the personal response, I anticipate that it's not just going to change my life, but that it has. I'm just waiting to see this reality and see it soon. The third reason that we observe the Lord's Supper is to participate together. The Lord's Supper is not meant to be taken by myself. Together is a really important part of it because the church is always communicated or explained as a body, as a family. And by me participating with you, it says a couple things. One, I'm a believer, you're a believer, we're believers. And when we say that, it's not like, ha-ha, you're not believers, ha-ha, we're better than, no. It's, that has nothing to do with our attitude. Our attitude says, you're family, we're in this together, I got your back, you got my back, I'm praying for you, you're praying for me, I'll do whatever it takes to help you succeed in your walk with Christ. Let's together nudge the world around us to a saving relationship with Jesus. All of us point and we trust the world's going to look. That's what we do together. But there's a personal part of this that's really important. The Apostle Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 11 that everyone ought to examine themselves before they do this. There's a personal evaluation that has to come before public participation because this is very simply what we communicate when we eat this cracker and drink this juice. In a minute, when you stand up and come down these middle aisles and our staff are here to hand you these elements, you're communicating a couple things. First, you're communicating, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, right? Second, you're communicating that as best you're able, as best you understand, as best you know, that there's no thought, that there's no action, and there's no attitude in you that's displeasing to the Lord. That as best you're able, as you come back to this table, you're coming the same way you came to Jesus in the first place, which is nothing held back, no fine print in your contract, no prenuptial agreement. All of you to all of Jesus as best you know. In just a minute, Brian's going to come and he's going to lead us in a song. And this song is to help us reflect. The song is to help us introspect. And you might get freaked out at this point and go, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Let me tell you how to do it. It's easy. All you do is you say, God, show me if there's something in me you don't like. Point it out. You say, I don't know how to talk to God. Talking, God's already taken care of that, friends. You just think thoughts toward God. He thinks back to you. He's arranged that communication pipeline before you were born. Is there any thought in me, any action, any attitude displeasing to you? Now, I've never prayed that prayer where I've been able to go, are all my thoughts pleasing to you, Lord? Check, right? If you're really introspective, God will point something out. Are all my actions pleasing to you, God? How did I drive on the way to church today, right? What did I say to my wife this morning? How did I, I mean, if you really get personal, 
chances are you're not going to be quick to give yourself a check mark there. But if you are, perhaps you could be brave enough to go into the third category, which would be attitudes. How's my attitude? Can you say, God, my attitude is pleasing to you, and I don't need any adjustments whatsoever. If you can say all those three things and you can do it quickly, you should be here teaching, and I should be there because I can't. So just take a minute. Take a breath. Listen to Brian sing. Ask the Lord to examine your heart. If there's anything in there you need to confess, confess it. Any thought, action, or attitude, make it right. The third thing we're saying here as we come to this table is that all of my relationships, it's not just right between God and me, but as best I'm able, it's right this way too. That's a hard one. It's part of it. The last attitude we have as we come to this table is an attitude that we celebrate this week, Thanksgiving. And God, I don't just say I'm thankful. God, I live unthankful. And I'm going to do my best to live it today. Live a life of gratitude for who Jesus is, for what he's done, for who you are, who we are, our mission, for our purpose, for our promise of an eternity together in heaven. I'm going to pray for you. Brian's going to sing. And I don't want you to do anything but just to sit and reflect. And then I'll come and read a short passage from the gospel of Jesus giving his instructions to his disciples, and we'll do the same. Father, thank you for my friends. And as we contemplate and open our hearts, speak to us and point out these things in us, you don't want there. Perhaps there are some in here, well, I know there are, Father, as there were first hour, who have not given themselves to you in this way yet. And I just trust that today might be the day that they would choose to step into that relationship with you. As you teach us more, we're responsible for more. As we learn more, then we know more and we can choose more effectively, better. And I pray that if there's anyone here who is considering that, that they would simply right here in this moment from their hearts tell you in the best way they can in their thoughts that they confess they're sorry for sinning, for sin, for the thoughts and actions and attitudes displeasing to you that we're born with and those that we do because we enjoy it, for those that we do and don't mean to, we're sorry. We confess it. They also tell you that they believe who Jesus is as much as they know about Jesus, that he is God, that he came and died a death he didn't deserve and rose again and gave us a life we didn't deserve, offering us forgiveness for our sins. That they simply tell you that they want to live for you, even though they're not 100% sure what that means. They want you to be in charge, you to be the boss. I pray that my friends right now in this moment would let you know this, God, and that they, from this point on, would begin a new life. I pray that as we come and participate in communion in just a few minutes, after having done business with you, that we would truly have attitudes and hearts that are thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Just sit, friends, listen, and reflect. Come. Some of our staff will be giving you these elements, the cracker and the juice, that represent 
that remind us of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us on the cross. They're double cupped. Um, there's a cracker in one of the cups and the juice, and so you'll, they'll hand you one thing and you can separate those. When you actually take the Lord's Supper, when you eat the cracker and drink the juice, um, you can do that at the, your seats by yourself. You can do it as a family group with friends. You can linger up here in the front. Uh, however you'd like to do it, it's totally up to you. In just a minute, I'll ask you to come if you're ready and when you're ready. If you're not, if you're uncomfortable, just stay seated where you are. This is a family. It's perfectly fine. But I'll invite you after I read this passage of Scripture from Matthew, where Jesus explained this to his disciples for the very first time. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take this and eat this. This is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of this vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And then after the disciples did what Jesus instructed them to do, they sang and they left, which is exactly what we're going to do today. So friends, if you're ready, uh, when you're ready, you can stand and just come to this, these two center aisles and you can line up. It's perfectly fine. And uh, they'll hand you a little package with both of these in it. And you worship and remember and celebrate in the way you choose to. When you're ready and if you're ready, church friends, let's do this. <laughs> 